You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Scott Lunn. We'll get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Port Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in southern Ontario, and it is a beautiful place to be. Scott Lund is off today, but joining me in the co-host seat is Vern Milo, a familiar face and voice to all of our members. Good morning, Vern. How are you? Not too bad, Dolores. Uh, So glad to be here today. Um, uh, You know, needless to say, the last 12 months have been profoundly historic. And, and uh, in so many ways, and, and there's going to be much written about it, recorded about it over the next how many years. And, um, you know, the, 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 one of the most important perspectives is, is the one that we have as our topic. Uh, and and uh, um, it's so interesting to hear it. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't heard enough. And, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some interesting aspects uh, to look at today. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Great, great. And I'm, I'm excited to have you by my side here this morning. I also want to give a shout out to our tech sponsor, Brian LaChapelle from B4 Networks, who always makes us sound so good. Brian, how are you this morning? Fantastic. Thanks, Dolores. Great. Thank you. So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking to some of our frontline workers here in Niagara to hear their perspective about being in healthcare during the pandemic this past year. Vern, I know we've all been a little stressed this year, but I cannot imagine what it has been like um, for those folks on the front line. I'm really interested to hear about their experience. So, Vern, who do we have joining us this morning? Um, we, we have a we have a fantastic, uh, shall we say, collection of of, uh, of diversity uh, in in terms of the issue. Uh, starting with uh, with uh, Dr. Karim Ali, uh, he's um, he's a director of. Uh, Division of Infectious Diseases and Antimicrobial um, Stewardship Program and Pandemic Preparedness Leader. Um, then we have Natalie Ferrero, um, who is an RN and Kidney Care Clinic Manager, uh, Hemodialysis Unit, and she's currently moonlighting as Niagara Hospital Vaccine Clinic. Um, and uh, finally, we have Leslie LaDuc, who's Program and Services Manager at the Extended Care Unit in Welland. Um, Dr. Ali, let's start with you, if we may. Um, when did you first realize uh, that this was going to be a crisis for our healthcare system uh, here in Niagara? And what was your thought process at that time? So, you know, I think the the, the first uh, time uh, um, we kind of came to know, right, like that something was brewing was uh, was that uh, like I, I always referred back to that email <clears throat> email that we got uh, there is a there is a regular list uh, uh, a list sir um, and that uh, uh, you know some infectious diseases epidemiology and other physicians get and uh, I got that email on January 31st uh, oh sorry January 1st 2019 so it was right at midnight uh, uh, New Year's Eve when uh, WHO was uh, uh, sent out uh, sent out an alert at that time, they had actually received notification from uh, our Chinese uh, Centers for Disease Control that there has been a cluster of cases um, in uh, in Wuhan. Okay, 
At that time, there was a connection to a seafood market. So the thought was, this is all just limited to that area. Uh, although now we know, right, like that's not true. But, y- you know, you, you look at it and it's like, oh, you know, when, when, I, when, when the first uh, uh, SARS uh, pandemic started, it was, uh, it was also somewhat similar. But, uh, you know, at that time, you, we were in, I was in med school back in Pakistan. I didn't, you know, you, so you look at this in 2019 sitting here and you think, hmm, what is this, right? Um, so next day on with my New Year's message, I, I passed it on to a few of my friends. I'm like, hey, I wonder if this is going to be something. And then, you know, over the next two, three weeks, things started unfolding. Um, it, it was, I think, January 18th or 19th when there was the first uh, documented case in, uh, in Seattle, right? Like uh, from a returning traveler, January 24th or 20th, sorry, January 25th was Sunnybrook in uh, uh, first one in Canada, then, uh, you know, it just started from there. But, you know, right, uh, like, right around like second week of January, we started having conversations with, uh, uh, with our public health unit, and, you know, just trying to see what what this is. But no, did not know this is what's, what it's going to turn out to be. And Dr. Ali, you treated the the first patient with COVID-19 here in Niagara back in, well, just over a year ago. Yeah, um, with, with, our, with our medical uh, teams, with our uh, uh, fabulous nurses, respiratory therapists, like we were part of that team. But yes, we were, we were involved in the, in the first ever case um, here in Niagara and uh, um, March uh, 13th. March 13th. And so since, since that time, we've had a number of patients um, that you've cared for. Um, and I think the saddest part of this is it, it, families, you know, aren't able to be with their loved ones. It's a very um, lonely end. And, um, and, and, and you've been, you know, a part of that. Yeah. Um you know, Natalie and Leslie will tell you this, maybe Leslie more so when, 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 when we talk about our, our long-term care wing, right? Like it's, it's not, this is not how death is supposed to be where, where, where you don't have anybody, right? Like, like holding up FaceTime, like, like, you know, iPhones and iPads and, and phones to, for them to say goodbye. Um, so Yes, at that time, like that, like we, we all went through a collective traumatic experience, like our, our fabulous uh, staff. Like I, you know, I, this is much, much bigger than just me or, or, or all of us here, right? Like this is huge. Um, my experience, our experience here, like I, I can't even imagine what, what those families have gone through. Um, and, you know, uh, what, what, what those last moments were for people were. But I, you know, that's why the, the message always is, right? Like, you know, there are people out there who still don't think this is serious, right? Like, but this is as real as it gets for, for all of us. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think um, even for people who, who had to access, um, you know, the hospital for, for other um, medical emergencies, I, I know that, um, you know, last summer, my mom had a major heart attack. And, you know, we called an ambulance and she was in the hospital for almost two weeks. 
And, you know, the paramedics showed up. They were amazing. Uh, just knew what to do, um, took care of things right away. But I, I cannot... I cannot explain to you the feeling that we had as the ambulance drove away and we were told, call the hospital, call the hospital in an hour and they'll let you know what's going on. It was the longest hour of our life. And, um, you know, even, you know, the two weeks after we really had to depend on, on all of you (laughs) to care for our mom because we couldn't be there. Um, it was very limited uh, times that we could be there. We really uh, depended on the nurses giving us an update over the phone. It, it was hard. And, and I think that's the thing that sometimes people forget. This is a pandemic on top of, you know, Walk all the health crisis that you guys deal with every day. And, and Leslie, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can, um, you know, give us a little perspective around that. Yeah, I would say, especially in long-term care, it's been a real challenge. Um, At the beginning of the pandemic, when families were not allowed in um, at all, um, and, you know, to see, you know, the, uh, the, the emotional support that the residents didn't have from their family members being with them on a regular basis, and, and the difficulty that the family members experienced during that um, we were really lucky. We, um, you know, we have we have quite a bit of technology here in our home to begin with, um, um, and Niagara Health has been really good at supporting the technology that we had in the home. Um, but we had a, a huge donation from a company that allowed us to buy um, two more iPads right away, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were, you know, we were able to kind of bump our technology up pretty quickly. So. We, um, you know, we weren't sharing, but I know other homes that I've talked to, other program managers in other homes, they didn't have the same amount of technology we had, or they didn't have the access to the internet, which is something that we had dealt with quite a number of years ago, um, making sure we had access to internet here in the home. Um, And so we were lucky to be able to connect families virtually um, with their family members pretty, pretty close to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but, you know, even as we, we went along, um, we, when we came to the summer months, um, we had a, a members of the community build us a, a visiting booth. So we were able to visit out, you know, do outside visits, but maintain that barrier um, with those distancing because we still weren't doing, um, you know, as, as um, Dr. Cream said, we weren't doing the um, the masking, we weren't doing the gloves, we weren't doing the PPE the same at the beginning of this as we are now. Um, so it's, it's a very different, you know, things have shifted quite a lot. Um, and we do have essential care partners coming in now um, to the home. Each resident is allowed two essential care partners, but those care partners can be switched out on a regular basis, um, depending on the needs of the resident and the needs of the family at any given time. So we're really trying to work with the families to make sure they're there to support their loved one um, at any, at any given time. Yeah. That, that support is so, so important. And, and you know, you, you're talking about technology. 
that never even dawned on me. But but of course, you, you know, that would be a great way to keep them connected with family. And, you know, you, you think of, of seniors not necessarily um, being savvy enough to. They're, they're not. <laughs> right? They're not savvy mm-hmm. enough. So my recreation therapy staff had to really bump up their, their tech savviness quite quickly. Um, you know, uh, between Zoom and Facebook Messenger and I, you know, um, and um, FaceTime and Skype and, you know, all of these different technology platforms that, uh, you know, we weren't 100% familiar with them all. So my, yeah, the recreation therapy team here really had to bump up their knowledge pretty quick on how do we access this. And you have to remember, so the average age in our home is somewhere around 90, a little bit higher than 90 is the average age of our residents in our home. Um, We have 115 beds. So that's, you know, quite an age. So you also have to think that if our residents are 90, how old are their children? And a lot of their children are not technically savvy either. Right. Um, So that was, you know, that's also a challenge is how do we support the family member through the, you know, through this technology when they don't know a lot of the technology or they're not comfortable with the technology. Right. Um, so, so how did you support them? I, that's, that's just a great point. You know what? It was a lot of, um, a lot of telephone conversations, a lot of walking them through things, a lot of patience on both ends um, to make this work, you know, um, to get them connected to um, messenger to use Facebook messenger, or if we were doing zoom, you know, teaching them how to do that over the telephones. Um, so, you know, because yeah, like you have to think if our average is 90, their kids are, you know, 70. Right. Um, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm not technically savvy, but, but I can, you know, turn on a computer and I can hop on zoom. I can figure all that out. But my, my kids, you know, laugh at me and, and, and have no patience <laughs> with me. So I can't imagine, you know, a 70 year old um, and their, you know, 90, 95 year old parent trying to. <laughs> right. And then you, and then you add dementia in there as well, right. because I mean, a lot, most of our residents have some um, level of dementia. So you add dementia in there and they can't understand how come I can see you, but I can't touch you. And I can't like, you know, that, that confusion of, of technology um, is, you know, really a challenge for, for some of our residents. So, yeah. I, I can imagine. Um, one of the things that, that we were chatting about just before we went live was, um, you know, the messages and, and how the messages have continued to change through this pandemic. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, wearing two masks, not wearing two masks. What, um, what can you say about that, Dr. Ali? So, you know, like like we were talking about this uh, before right like the only thing that has not changed like you said is change itself right um we have to constantly pivot because you know for for all intents and purposes right like this is a novel virus this is a novel um uh, way of living this is a pandemic um and 
collectively we haven't gone through this right like so how do you like as science develops right like so science is 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 constantly developing and as it develops recommendations change okay and they may not be perfect they may be very different than what you heard two uh three four months ago but things do change and you know i i guess you know my my colleagues here can attest to that like we we go through this all the time in uh, in our in our clinical world in our you know uh, there are constantly new treatments new strategies coming along and you have to pivot and make sure that you adapt to it to provide the best possible care now this has amplified where this is all playing out uh, in front of public and you know we are so we like all of us we have been so we are used to functioning in that that uh, gray zone where things are not just black and white right whereas um i guess the bottom line is we all try to find certainty in an uncertain world right like in this pandemic everything that uh, that it has brought forward um not just the 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 physical but the emotional mental health the economic fallout of this is just just constantly changing when and i i have learned uh not to be very sure about things right like you want to make sure that you convey it like this is how it stands right now it may change and if it changes will change with it um like we were talking about before right uh, just exactly a year ago um there was a dearth of literature or there was no um population level data about mask wearing and it slowly started to come out and then you know um we pivoted and all across mask wearing has become um the norm physical distancing masking so i guess yeah like that's that's sort of my roundabout way of saying we're trying to find certainty in an uncertain world yeah. interesting um natalie if i could ask you perhaps um you can give us an update on uh, the vaccine rollout um when did you get involved and uh, what's our status right now and perhaps um perhaps touch upon how how is it emotionally giving a vaccine to someone you know it, it, because i don't think anybody looks at it from the perspective of the person holding a needle yeah so um i was asked to join the vaccine um task force and group early january from our executive vice president derek mcnally i was honored to be uh, to be asked to be honest with you um it's it's the only way that we're going to be able to get a handle on this pandemic and and start seeing people's faces again and being able to provide care the way that we used to uh, you know our patients seeing our smiles and and not having all these barriers and human touch and and you know families coming in to help heal the sick and so i was honored to to join the working group it literally takes a village <laughs> to make this happen it's been unbelievable how niagara health has come together um to make this happen if you could see what i'm looking at right now i wish i could show you but due to confidentiality issues i can't um it's unbelievable it's super emotional um we opened our the first uh, mass vaccination center in niagara um on february the 17th um and now we are currently providing 1400 vaccines per day we're open 7 days a week and today they will be hitting 40,000 first doses for Niagara residents which wow. sends chills down my body so it's amazing i will tell you the first vaccine that we uh gave in uh long term care um 
employee and Niagara Health employees brought tears to all of our eyes. It's, it's an incredible uh, feeling. It's been a long, as everybody said, a very long year. Uh, it's been very difficult on the health system and the community and families. Uh, people have lost their jobs. Um, it's, it's affected everybody very differently. But for healthcare, it's, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. So to be able to vaccin vaccinate, you know, the Niagara region and, and have a huge part in helping control this pandemic, it's an honor. That's awesome. That's Natalie, awesome. Can you, can you tell people where you are? Just tell our listeners where you yeah. are right now. Yeah, so I'm currently live on location. Um, <laughs> so I'm at Seymour Hanna for Paterina. So that's where uh, the Niagara Health uh, Vaccination Center is. So I have actually been removed from my current uh, position at Niagara Health, which is I'm a clinical uh, manager for hemodialysis at St. Catherine site. And I've now on location here at Seymour Hanna um, uh, running uh, clinical operations with our team um, here at Seymour Hanna. So, so yeah, so this is the stadium, obviously. Uh, it's a hockey arena. So those are the stadium seat, seats behind me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Not bad. Not bad. So That's how are, how are people reacting to the vaccine? I, I know there was a lot of controversy around the vaccine um, and some people still are not feeling comfortable with it. But um, what are you hearing as people are coming through the door? I think um, excitement, um, relief. Um, so I don't know if anybody saw CHCH News. They did a really nice article last night on our sticky notes. So if you ever come here, you can see a sea of a rainbow sticky notes. And so what um, our executive vice president, Linda Boyd's idea was to write how people feel about receiving the vaccine on a sticky note and putting it around the arena. And it's just grown unbelievably. Um, originally, we were going to take them down um, at the end of each day, save them and do something with them at the end of the day. And now we've just let it grow. It's, it's literally like, uh, it's unbelievable. It's all colorful. And um, my staff and I, we go and read them at the end of each night. There's thousands of them. And it's just an inspiration. There's, there's sticky notes that say, you know, now I can hug my mom or I'm that much closer to hugging my mom or seeing my kids or uh, going back into long-term care to see my husband. Like it's just really heartwarming. And honestly, for the team that's worked so hard, it just, it just proves that we're doing the right thing here and we're, we're continuously working hard to, to help, you know, curve this pandemic for sure. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. What a story, Dolores. Oh, my God. It's the hope, right? Like you said, it's yeah. the light at the end of the tunnel. There, there's hope. And um, and I think we've all had moments uh, where we just, you know, when is this going to end? I, I, I remember watching um, the news when they were talking about the, uh, the first variant that they found in, in the UK. And for me, and, and I th think I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, that was a, a moment for me where I thought, oh my God, like, when is this going to end? And I think we've all had moments like that throughout the past year. But, you know, just having this conversation this morning, it's, uh, I've got chills, you know, I, I'm so happy because there is hope. And my parents have gotten the first um, vaccine shot. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it's, it's just waiting for that, for that hug, right? And, and I think we can all, we can all relate to that. It's um, it's a good feeling. I, Leslie, I think, has 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 the mood in in extended care been the fact that we've turned the corner? And have you seen a morale up boost at all in that industry as a whole, or or how? What's the status there? Um, I think 
Yeah, I mean, people are feel a little bit of a sense of relief that the vaccines have been um, given. Of course, all of our residents have received both of their doses or those those residents that wanted to receive the vaccine, um, as well as um, all of our staff that um, wanted to have received both of the doses because of the concerns in long term care environments. Um, sure. So. Um, we were right at the beginning of that um, thing. So I think you see some relief from that. Our essential care partners that have been coming into the home to support their loved one um, throughout uh, this whole time that they've been allowed, most of them have received um, both doses, if not, um, if one dose at least for sure. Um, so, you know, we, and we continue that as, um, as people become essential care partners, we continue to um, register them and, and get them the, the vaccine doses so that they are safe uh, coming into the home. So yeah, I think you're seeing a little bit of a sense of relief, a little bit of a, hopefully this is turning a little bit of a corner, but um, there's still a lot of unknowns. You know, as you said, the, the variants are, are a huge concern for us. Um, um, is this, you know, is this going to uh, protect us? So we're still on very high alert here um, in terms of monitoring um, who comes in and out of the home, how we do things, um, all of the PPE that we're wearing um, to, you know, because we don't know some of those, those things. Um, so I think that's a big, you know, sort of a, a still a, a cloud kind of hanging over us. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and maybe Dr. Ali, I'll have you um, uh, speak to that a bit. Uh, you, you know, we're excited about the vaccine, but, you know, once you get the vaccine, you, you can't let your guard down. Not yet. No, we can't. And, you know, that's that's true. And, and what Leslie is mentioning, right, like especially in high risk areas, um, you know, not just like uh, like where Leslie, but Natalie's uh, where where Natalie works, right? Like so, dialysis units and all, like very very important to make sure that that vulnerable population is protected. Yes, there are unknowns, but you know, good things are on the horizon. Look at BC, right? So, I I know BC is going through. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't know if we want to call it a third wave, but yeah, certainly a spike in cases. But because they're long-term care residents and uh, um, are, are almost completely vaccinated, they're starting to let people come in, okay? To be with their loved ones. There are obviously public health measures in place and they will be, but you know, things are looking up. There is always gonna be some unknowns, okay? About, uh, about this, but you know, how I, I think, I, I guess people are, are becoming tired of hearing, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Yeah. And, you know, this is time when we, you know, as a society, as as a healthcare professionals, we start talking about how uh, can we do things safely? What is it that I can do safely? Yes, you know, going outside in beautiful weather, it's fine, right? Um, it's it's good for you, it's good for everybody. Um, we can discuss about variants, but I'll say, you know, that's just, that's Darwinism in, a, in action, right? There was just so much virus around um, during, uh, you know, uh, fall, right? Like, so late summer and fall of uh, 2020, 
that it gives the virus the chance to mutate, right? Like, so things change. And that's a normal phenomenon. More than 90% of uh, these uh, changes in the virus, they don't mean anything. And, you know, it's just there. Every now and then there are some changes in the virus that makes it more infectious, so to speak, right? Like, so it becomes, it becomes more efficient at transmitting. The good news is um, the, the variant from UK or B117, which is the predominant variant we worry about, all three vaccines actually work, uh, all the four vaccines actually work well against it. Um, specifically speaking, right, like uh, Moderna and uh, Pfizer have come out with that data. There is actual lived experience with the UK variant and AstraZeneca. Right when it was running, starting to run rampant and burn through UK, uh, that's when AstraZeneca was uh, rolled out and they were able to curtail it, not just with uh, uh, lockdowns, but vaccinating population, uh, massive populations with AstraZeneca. So well, there you are, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a, a good point that you make, because I know that there's been a lot of news around the uh, AstraZeneca va vaccine and people who are very concerned about some of the issues that they've heard about. What, what can you tell us about that vaccine? And, and that's not available um, here in Niagara as of yeah. yet. It's not available yet, but you know, hopefully it will come across if it'll come around soon. Um, AstraZeneca vaccine is a bit different than the messenger RNA vaccine, okay? And the first, uh, I guess, principle, right? Like is don't compare vaccines that are mm -hmm. available. You can compare Pfizer or Moderna if you want, because they are the same vaccine perhaps, but you can't compare AstraZeneca, which is a different kind of vaccine. It is, it is essentially um, an, uh, a virus, uh, a common cold virus that has been rendered non-infectious and innocuous. And it has um, the spike protein, the, the protein uh, that, that juts out of this, uh, the, the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it, when it goes inside, right, like inside the body, it teaches our body to make uh, this spike protein and then our immune cells then fight it, okay? Uh, the typical, um, it's a two shot thing, right? Like, and it can be stored, um, you know, at a, at a refrigerator temperature. So that's the big thing about this vaccine um, because it is much more easier to transport and existing supply chains, right? Like logistic supply chains this 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 vaccine has no problem. I guess when when they looked at it, right, like this data, they you know, AstraZeneca and, and University of Oxford, when they put their heads together to do this uh, vaccination trial, they actually did their trials in a much better way than some of the other vaccines, because they included a diverse group of uh, people, right? Like so, people from different parts of the world, as opposed to just one country one or two or three countries, they included um, different ethnic uh, people of different ethnic backgrounds, because as you know, there is certainly a predilection for certain ethnicities to or races to actually die uh, and be adversely affected with, with COVID, uh, coronavirus more. Now, the number 65% effective or 70% effective it's, you know, it, it 
it conjures up imaging. It's like, oh, I'm getting a, you know, a, a, a second class vaccine than, than what everybody else got. Why would you do this to me, right? Like things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand that it's 76% um, effective at preventing symptomatic disease, which means for uh, 34 out of 100 people, 30, 34 out of 100 people will get a head cold, a common cold, uh, like symptoms, and they're good to go. It is still close to 100% effective at uh, preventing uh, death and severe disease. And this is exactly what you need to look at when you're looking at vaccine trials. So it's comparable, um, uh, like that efficacy is the same for Moderna uh, vaccine for Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. You can't compare these vaccines because one, they're different. And second, there have been no head-to-head trials comparing these vaccines. Also, I would say, right, like the the trials for Moderna and Pfizer vaccine happened earlier uh, than uh, the AstraZeneca, right? Like AstraZeneca vaccine trials and uh, rollouts were happening the real life when the variants were starting to spread. So I bet if those trials were like Moderna Pfizer trials happened at that time, we would have seen a lower number um, uh, for them too. But, you know, just cutting through the noise, this vaccine is still close to 100% effective, just like these at um, preventing death and severe disease. And that's exactly what what Leslie will tell you, what Natalie will tell you. The goal is to save lives, right? Like this is why all of this was first done uh, in in long-term cares to just ensure um, that we make sure that uh, that population is protected. Right. And I think, you know, as as has been the problem with, with so much this past year, there's so much misinformation, uh, people getting news from sources that aren't necessarily accurate. People don't know, you know, what to believe and what not to believe. Um, it's just a v- very, very confusing. So thank you so much for that explanation because that that actually makes sense to me. Um, Natalie, are you finding that when people come uh, to the vaccine clinic, are, are people asking what what vaccine they're, they're actually getting? I knew you were gonna ask that, so yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they ask a lot. Um, everybody kind of has, like you said, their own opinion on which vaccine is better. Um, so we've only had the Pfizer vaccine here at the Niagara Health Vaccine Clinic. Um, and again, that's due to the way that the vaccine has to be transported and stored in a frozen state. Um, so that's why we've continued to have it here because we have a whole um, pharmacy group and, and um, station set up to support all of that. So um, that's, I think, too, what has made this process of getting people uh, vaccinated so difficult because of the way that the vaccine is stored and transport and drawn up and um, again not wanting to waste anything we don't waste any vaccines Um, so I think um, I think that's where again the community is like well why can't I get it at my family doctor and why can't I get it at pharmacies but again it's those two vaccines are very specifically stored and and um, diluted and drawn up. Uh, but yeah, everybody asks what vaccine they're getting. A lot of people have a, a sense of relief for the Pfizer vaccine. But again, like what Dr. Ali said, I always say to everybody, any coverage is better than no coverage. And these vaccines wouldn't have been approved by our Canadian government if they were not safe and didn't do the job that we need them to do. So everybody should just be happy to get a vaccine. 
Right. I'm, I'm with you. And I'm, I'm just curious, how are you storing them? Are you just putting them on the ice in the arena? <laughs> how does yeah, that work? no. So, so they get, they're in special uh, minus 70 uh, fridges at the hospital. So we have these caged special fridges that were ordered um, that store the vaccine. And then each day we have two drops. So uh, in the morning, uh, pharmacy brings in in uh, cooler freezer they have to come in a frozen state so they come in coolers um, we do half the amount we bring it here and we have a fridge here where they can thaw from a frozen state to um uh, refrigerated unfrozen state and then as we take them out uh, we draw up the doses pharmacy does that and then they're good for six hours so that's the other thing it's not like once you draw them up and you don't use it you could just put it back in the fridge once they've hit room temperature we have six hours from the minute that they hit room temperature to be using them so it just adds another layer of, of, of it being very dynamic, right? So we usually throughout the day have three different expiry times, 1.30, 3.30, and then um, 6.30. So we have to make sure constantly surveying the floor to make sure that none of those expire by time. Right. So it, 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 yeah, it's hard. Do you have a standby list? So if, if people don't show up and let's say you have, you know, 20 people for some reason didn't show up and they're about to expire... Uh, do you have a, a list of people that you can call to say, hey, we've got a vaccine for you, get down here? Yeah, so we have what we call a vaccination coordinator. So they watch the list very closely. We determine how many vaccines, how many cancellations, how many no-shows. We contact those people. We usually give everybody about an hour to an hour and a half. If Let's say there was a miscommunication to come in. Um, they're calling people. And then kind of at the end of the day, if we do have cancellations, then we we put uh, priority groups according to the ministry guidelines. Obviously, we follow all the rules um, onto a reserve list. So these are people that say, yeah, I can come anytime. Like I work I work at, at a place like even at the hospital some people can leave you know mm -hmm. um, they don't have a full nursing assignment um, they might be you know uh, a social worker and don't have any patients that they need to see at that moment or you know an occupational therapist that they can leave the hospital to come here and get vaccinated so I'm happy to say we've never ever at the end of the day wasted a dose because we couldn't find an arm a correct arm to put mm -hmm. that vaccine in Sounds like a very fine-tuned uh, machine, and and it is. The logistics are incredible. Congratulations on on doing the job that you're doing. That's, that's oh, incredible. thank you. Um, I want to come back to you, Doctor Ali. Just want to pick your brain a little bit. Um, do you think that we are <clears throat> here in Niagara? <clears throat> excuse me, um, in a third wave. Um, so not Niagara per se, right? Uh, but we are closely watching as uh, our numbers are uh, not where we want them to be, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain other indicators that public health monitors, right? Uh, like test positivity and all, uh, they haven't dropped or, um, you know, in some instances have started creeping uh, back up. But, you know, we, we are only as safe as our, our neighbors, I like to say. Um, so looking at Hamilton, Hamilton has become the second... Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, most, uh, you know, the, the, the one with the most incidence of cases, it's, it's number two right now. And, uh, historically we have always been, uh, a week to 10 days behind uh, Hamilton uh, or two weeks behind Hamilton in terms of rising cases. So, um, you know, our, uh, chief medical officer of health, uh, Dr. David Williams, right? Like for Ontario mm -hmm. has said, you know, we are in a third wave uh, as, uh, you know, collective. 
and uh, but niagara per se right like i you know it's it doesn't look like it right now we are not there yet but it won't take much unfortunately so it's it's a race to get as many people vaccinated it is it, it is exactly a race to get as many people vaccinated as uh, quickly as you can and you know just all of us doing our part the the issue will also be it has literally come down neck to neck with the spread of variants right so overall in the province of ontario 60 to 70% of uh, of uh, samples of the you know the the virus they are positive for a variant either one of those three variants so you know i i understand it creates a lot of anxiety and all but you just need to understand the way out of this is to vaccinate the population and continue to follow the public health guidelines uh, as they stand right now um so yeah that's we are we are, we may not be there yet but we are unfortunately starting to see some increase so a tough mm-hmm. a tough question for you um but we're just having a conversation um do do you think we might end up in another lockdown depending on on the third wave and how it hits niagara i you know yes it's a tough question right <laughs> like if if i you know this this perhaps right like if there is a lockdown like obviously you know i don't make those decisions yeah um and you know if you ask me for cold hard facts like do lockdowns work absolutely they do okay you, my my colleagues uh, miss leduck here miss ferraro here will tell you right like like how destructive this was uh, like 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 this 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 dark dark winter that that we came out of and what miss ferraro told you right like when when we gave the first shot all of us were crying and we had to change our masks because they become soaked and then you have to change your masks right <laughs> but no that was like the, there was a vaccine delay right like it took time for us to have the vaccines but finally when it came through right like we just showed uh, uh we just showed niagara we showed just showed the province right like in canada as a whole what we can do uh, niagara health niagara regional public health this lockdown if it happens perhaps would be hopefully a, a lockdown to end all other lockdowns yeah. right because right now like like when we went into first lockdown a year ago we didn't know what we are heading into we had no idea right like some of us here uh, you know you you know you you just look at things and you're like okay maybe you know we just don't know you're hearing all these horror stories coming out of italy and now new york uh so let's uh, get our uh you know uh, wills right like living wills and all in order you don't know what's going to happen right and but this time around it's different because we have four highly effective uh vaccines available so even if we do i hope it's short lived i hope you know we vaccinate as many people as we can so we can come out of this uh, uh it's it you know lockdowns like like we were discussing they are not the most ideal and they would they should be a, they they are usually a um um sort of a measure of last resort right like desperate times require desperate measures and yeah. that's exactly what it would be because 
definitely lockdowns have an effect on people's mental health our our children's health right like that's that's something that 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 weighs a lot i i'm pretty sure um our public health units our our ministry um our uh, premier's office it weighs heavily on them when they think about these things because these are not easy decisions i'm 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 sure and i think sometimes people forget that um you know this is a public worldwide public health crisis and these decisions aren't made lightly and and you're right you know the, the premier certainly doesn't want to stand up there and say okay we're going into a lockdown nobody wants to see that um but it it just uh, is a reflection of how dire the situation is and i think um you know we need to understand that agreed and you know i'll say this right like it's so it's not easy for for me to talk about but like i'll say you know it's not just like I, thankfully i have a i have a good job i have a stable job right yeah i have a i have a family with me right like like my kid my my wife um most people don't right like and this is where it hurts the most in in lockdowns when they happen you know it's the people who can't work from home are the ones that have been most affected in those lockdowns so there is you know you you we have to think about that uh, that part of our population what are we doing to keep them safe how is it going to be different from other lockdowns besides vaccination do we have paid six days sick days and all right like that's all so so very important and i you know when when people talk about like lockdowns don't work and all when you look at case by case right like it does definitely work to bring the cases down but it hurts a lot of people right like and i i acknowledge that i realize right like i am not in those in that uh, uh, situation that a lot of our population is in and that's that's the sad part of this pandemic yeah you're you're right we've heard so many stories and we've had so many conversations about 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 that um and, and i think the important thing is you know to take the lessons that we've learned and to make sure that we have a plan in place um you know god forbid this happen again but we can't be so naive to to think that it won't and and mm-hmm. and you know what, what what do you think about that do, do you think we'll see something like this again in our lifetime dr ali so um, when when we were training in infectious diseases right like we we were, we were always trained or we always knew there is this this disease x right like like uh, that that may pop up just because of how closely the the human population is interacting or uh, uh, and coming in contact with the animal world so these things keep happening right look at uh, drc and the ebola um, uh, outbreak that's going on there it's controlled thankfully um you know we we may see this right like and it all depends like there should be a collective effort right like like with with uh, like like who and uh, other uh, health authorities uh, around the world to come together to have a pandemic plan in place right to be prepared for future pandemics and control them right uh, where you can and ebola is a very good example of this now 
you know it it has ravaged since 1976 right periodically and now we are seeing it uh, more frequently um in 2014 15 then back in 2016 and then last year and then this year uh, we saw the drc uh, uh outbreak there are effective vaccines so you know like you were mentioning before there are platforms now for safe and effective uh vaccine manufacturer like messenger rna um that would help us uh, pivot to those uh, very very quickly but you know you just you if you have a crystal ball like you would say uh, everything should be so that we prepare for the next one and uh, you know not not let our guard down not just let this all go to waste yeah that's good advice if if we did look for a silver lining in in this uh, uncomfortable experience shall we say um in if when when it comes to each one of you be it um, medically or extended care or even vaccine distribution what what do you think the major gain has been from from our experiences over the last uh, 12 months so j- just as a wrap up uh, what would you what would you say that is and how is that putting us in a better position than otherwise um let's let's start with natalie what what do you see as as a major gain Um I think just the whole process together we've learned a lot from this experience. I think we've learned um how to handle uh we've learned different infection control practices. We've had to redo policies and procedures. Everything that we knew before we had to make some adjustments to. I think for me the biggest thing was that our community came together and supported one another in this difficult time. Um it was unbelievable to see how much the community came and supported frontline em- uh employees at the hospital. It was really heartwarming. And again, Niagara might be small but we're mighty and together, you know, with the community and with the healthcare we're going to fight this and we're going to come out at the right end of this. And I think that's probably the biggest learning for me. Wow, that's great. Leslie, what do you see? um i think being in long term care is is just you know the light that this has shone on long term care and the needs that we have to look at how are we caring for our seniors um and and what are we doing with our long term care environments i mean thankfully from this for us one of the huge things is that um we are getting a new build um so we are part of the announcement that we are getting a new long term care home um 128 bed home built here in Welland um as part of Niagara Health um and so you know that's that's a huge thing so i mean that for us is really exciting to be part of that whole redesign and take the things that we've learned from um from this um experience in terms of how do we build environments that will help protect our you know our 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 elderly as we care for them should something like this ever happen again so we're we're building the right types of rooms we're building the right types of environments um you know that that we're doing the services that we need um and i think looking at our staffing in long term care um from this as well is is huge and and the light that this has shone on the need to really look at how are we staffing um our long term care environments to care for our seniors so i think although that it's been a very very difficult challenge one of the positives would take that you know we we are going to do better wow that's awesome and finally dr ali i i, I just 
you know, it, I'm I'm speechless at like what 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 message, right? Like, and what what have we learned? I think the most important thing um, I I would say is uh, you know you gotta learn to cherish every moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. The other is uh, you know empathy and kindness uh, uh, with people because everybody is struggling. You gotta understand, you know, people. It, it, it's just not gonna be perfect. We just have to do things, and uh, you know whatever choice people make, you just have to be kind to them, right? Like and understand that everybody is is going through a collective traumatic experience, and uh, you know we have had, we've all had uh, uh, loved ones uh, affected by this directly or indirectly, and it just comes comes you know it just shows you the fragility of of life, so just you know, be kind. And uh, right now is, you know, the end is in sight. So, um, you know, we would be better, we are better prepared now than we were before. So making sure this home stretch is is worth it. So that's, that's sort of my message. I think empathy and kindness all around. And don't forget um, the, the people in Niagara, people in the world, right? Millions who have died of this and continue to die. Wow, what what a what a great conversation and and you know three great leaders, um, you know each and every one of you doing doing your share for this, and, and to hear you speak about offering kindness and, and empathy to others that's that's fantastic. Thank thank you so so much for all the work you're doing. Uh, needless to say, I don't think we can say thank you enough times. Um, and um, and uh, Dolores, what do we uh, have planned uh, going on to our next meeting? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks, Vern, for being such a great co-host. It's nice to have you uh, not next to me physically, but (laughs) joining me on the podcast. Um, And thanks to uh, all three of our guests for for caring and for being on the front lines during one of the uh, scariest moments in in our history. We just really can't thank you enough. I have so much respect and gratitude to to all three of you and, and to the rest of your colleagues. Um, Next week, we're going to be taking a break, uh, but we'll be back live on April 9th. Uh, Scott Lund will be back as well, and we'll be hearing from three very cool businesses here in South Niagara. They're going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly about their businesses during the past year, as well as their plans for a bright future. Joining us for the conversation will be Kevin Reels from Series Global, David Norquest from Mini Wargaming, and Antonetta Kulik from the Fort Erie Racetrack. Three South Niagara superstars. Can't wait. To all of our listeners, um, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful day.